loving Father in heaven, it is with joy that we come into the presence of God, seeking good things from you and your word. Father, you have been faithful in your blessings to us time and again. And Lord, it's with anticipation that we look forward to yet another blessing this morning. Father, we pray that you would remove any distractions and that you would prepare our hearts for the message that you have prepared for us. Speak to us now, Lord, we ask. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We started our study together last week with this passage that we've looked at several times in Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3, where we find this exciting invitation that God gives to us as his children. He says, call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God is inviting his children to call upon him, and this is something that we get to engage in on a daily basis calling upon God and letting him, letting him show us great and mighty things that we have never seen or experienced before in our relationship with him. And this is what we're studying. We're studying this concept of calling upon God, which we call prayer. In the book Gospel Workers, page 254, there's a beautiful passage here that we've read once before, but I think it's worth repeating. We're told this, that prayer is the breadth of the soul. And we know how important it is for us to breathe. It is something we do not on a uh, daily basis. It's not something we do on an hourly basis, but it's something we do every few seconds. It's, it's vital to our existence. She says, prayer is the breath of the soul. It is the secret of spiritual strength. No other means of grace can be substituted, and the health of the soul be preserved. Prayer brings the heart into immediate connection with the wellspring of life and strengthens the sinew and muscle of the religious experience. Neglect the exercise of prayer or engage in prayer spasmodically now and then as seems convenient and you lose your hold on God. The spiritual faculties lose their vitality. The religious experience lacks health and vigor. What a privilege we have to breathe the atmosphere of heaven moment by moment as we engage in this spiritual strength of prayer. Now, I mentioned in our study together last week, and I want to repeat this because I don't want you to forget it, and it's this, that prayer is a relationship, not a religious activity. Please say amen. Okay, so we don't look at prayer as an activity, a religious activity that we do periodically throughout the day. 
Prayer is a relationship with a God that wants to communicate with us. And just like we communicate with one another and we develop our relationship through communication, so we develop our relationship with God through communing with him. We have to change our view of prayer uh, to look at it from the perspective that we are developing a knowledge and a relationship with God as we spend time with him in prayer. Through prayer, we adjust to what God wants and not God to what we want. He already knows what we need. We don't need to tell him what he already knows. In fact, prayer is actually more for us than it is for God, right? It's for us as we pray, we are bringing ourselves in line with our Father's will. Now, we've been studying this passage together where the disciples come and they ask Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. In Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, as I've mentioned several times, at this point, the disciples were already ordained as ministers, but yet when they heard Jesus' prayer, they realized that they did not know how to pray as they should. And so Jesus, after this, he shares with them the Lord's prayer that we have become so familiar with in answering this request. And there are lots of little details in the Bible that help us to understand how we can have a more meaningful prayer life. And we've looked at six of them so far in our time together. We're going to look at two more in our time together here today. But just as a quick review, we found that the Bible tells us that we should have a secret what? We should have a secret place, a specific spot where we are meeting with God on a daily basis. This is the place that I meet with him when I wake up in the morning or maybe when you go to bed at night or at some point throughout your day. I have a place, a specific spot that I meet together with God on a regular basis. And then that translates to meeting with him all uh, wherever you go throughout your day. Number two, we study how the Bible tells us that we should have a what? A time to pray. David said, morning and evening and at noon will I pray and cry out loud. So we have a place to pray, but then we have a specific time. This is the time that I'm going to meet with God every morning, every evening, every afternoon, whatever it is. This is the time that I'm going to meet together with him. And then number three, we learned that uh, the Bible teaches that we should also learn how to pray how? Verbally or speaking those prayers, not always inside of our mind. There's a time and a place for those silent prayers where we're just thinking them. But we also see the example of Jesus who prayed out loud. And when the disciples heard him pray, that's when they made the request, Lord, teach us how to pray. It's a powerful part of your prayer life when you can learn to pray out loud and speak those prayers that keep your mind focused on that conversation. Number four, we learned that we should also learn how to what? Listen, prayer is a communication with God, not a one-sided communication, but it's giving and taking. And we looked at the example of Samuel and how he prayed little and God spoke much. And that's the type of prayer life that we would like to have. Last week, we studied about how we need to present God's what? promises. We need to pray the promises of God, not just what we want, but pray what he has promised that he will give to us. And then we know that we are praying in line with his will and his word. And then last week, we also looked at how not only do we need to present the promises of God, but we also need to what? We need to believe them, that God is able to fulfill what he has Said, And we looked at this little statement from the pen of inspiration where she says that God stands behind every promise he has 
made. Amen? Every promise, all thousands of them throughout the Bible, he stands behind every promise that he has made. And we also looked at how unbelief is poisonous to our prayer life. And we looked at the example of the life of Sarah and what happened as a result of her unbelief. It caused years, thousands of years of heartache because of her unbelief in God's promise that he would give her a son from Abraham. So let's go ahead and add two more things in our study together today. And I think you will find that these will be a blessing to you as well. The next thing that we're going to look at, and this is number seven in our list, uh, number seven is to ask in Jesus' name. To ask how? In Jesus' name. Now, the Bible tells us this in John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. This is Jesus talking here. And he says, whatsoever ye ask in what? My name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then he repeats himself in verse 14. And if you shall ask anything in my name, what does he say? If you ask how much? How? In his name, he will what? That's like a blank check. It's like God is giving you, he's just ripping a check out of his checking account, out of his checkbook, and he's handing it to you. If you ask Anything in my name, I will do it. It's a blank check. It's, in my opinion, it's one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture. But what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? You know, I think for many of us, when we think about that, we think, okay, well, that means, dear Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name I pray. And then at the end of the prayer, we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. And that's as far as it kind of goes when we think of praying in Jesus' name. But I'm going to suggest to you this morning that praying in the name of Jesus means much more than inserting his name at the beginning and at the end of your prayer. And in fact, some people insert the name of Jesus so much in their prayer that it almost becomes a vain repetition. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Listen to this statement. I think it's just so beautiful, and it paints it very clearly for us. Desire of Ages, page 668, she says this. But to pray in Jesus' name means what? Much. It means that we are to accept his character, manifest his spirit, and work his works. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? It means to accept his character as yours. It means to have that character of Christ. When you're praying in Jesus' name, you're saying, what Jesus is, is what I want to be. It's not just a mere iteration of the name of Christ. It is saying, Lord God in heaven, I want the character of Jesus. Now, There are many elements to the character of Christ. There are many layers to it. But I think if you were to boil it down into one thing, the character of Jesus we find in his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will but thine be done. Would you agree with me on that? If you were to really boil the character of Jesus down into, you know, one little sentence, which I think is just just about impossible, but if you were to do that, it would be that 
prayer that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done. An attitude of submission and surrender to whatever God's will was for him in his life. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. I read recently a prayer that was written by a missionary couple, John and Betty Stam. It was written by uh, Betty. And I think it just beautifully illustrates this concept of praying in Jesus' name. She wrote this. She said, Lord, I give up all my own plans and purposes, all my own desires and hope, and accept thy will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all, utterly to thee to be thine forever. Fill me and seal me with thy Holy Spirit. Use me as thou wilt. Uh, work out thy, will, thy whole will in my life at any cost, now and forever. Is that praying in Jesus' name, yes or no? It's a beautiful prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. And I'm not one for written prayers, but it's a beautiful prayer. It's a prayer of absolute submission to God and whatever his desire was for her life. And you know what God's desire was? I don't understand why this is, but I think we'll find out when we get to the kingdom of heaven. Just shortly after she wrote this prayer, her and her husband, they were missionaries to China. Her and her husband were brutally murdered by the Chinese people. I know, we look at this and we think, what in the world? How could God do that? When you get to heaven, you'll find out why. Because it may just be that they saved more people in their death than they would have in their life. We don't understand things the way God understands them. But when we get to heaven and we see it from his perspective, we will be thankful that we prayed in Jesus' name. That we took that attitude of surrender and submission to his will now and forever in my life. You know, it's interesting when you compare this prayer and the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and the prayers of God's people throughout Scripture. It's interesting when you compare their prayers with the prayers of the heathen. You remember the prayer that the, uh, the, the, the prophets of Baal prayed on Mount Carmel? Do you remember that? The Bible tells us that it went from morning until afternoon. What were they doing as they were praying? They were jumping and leaping and yelling and screaming and cutting themselves and doing all kinds of crazy stuff because in the pagan system of worship, as they pray to their pagan gods, it's almost like they have to manipulate the god to do what they want them to do. And so if they pray longer, if they scream louder, if they cut more, or if they do whatever it is, they might be able to conjole the God that they are praying to, to into a submissive role to do what they want. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. This isn't the God that we serve. Amen? We're going to look at this story a little bit more here in just a few moments. But when you look at the prayer that was prayed by God's prophet, it was quite a bit different than the prayer that was prayed by the pagan priests on Mount Carmel. Scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 10 and 13, 10 and 11, rather. Bible, this is the Lord's Prayer. What did Jesus say to pray? Thy what? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then it's interesting that once we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then he says to pray what? 
give us this day our daily bread. You find that interesting? That's praying in Jesus' name. Thy will be done. Your will be done in my life today. You know, I recently stumbled across some, um, some fun information about George Mueller. I think I mentioned him in my, my sermon last week, but I'm going to mention him again today because I think his prayer life is just really phenomenal when you think about it. George Mueller, uh, for those of you that don't know, was a man who lived by great faith. God used him to build at least four orphanages that cared for about 2,000 children at a time. Over the time of his career as an orphanage builder taking care of kids, he took care of about 10,000 children over the course of his life. He died at 93 years old, and when they evaluated all of his assets, he had about $800 in assets. Yet over the course of his 93 years of life, maybe a little shorter than 93, but over the course of his life in ministry, he distributed over $8 million that was given to him by God for work to build up for him. Died with $800. I don't know about you, but that's the way I want to go out. Investing all in the cause of God. Now, what's very interesting about George Mueller, you can look him up if you'd like to. I would encourage you to, in fact. He was a tremendous man of prayer, and he had a habit, and the habit was this. When he felt like God was laying upon him a specific project, and he did many of them, when he felt like the Lord was laying on him a specific project, he would take that matter to the Lord in prayer, and he would tell nobody about it. And he would pray and pray and claim the promises of God until God would perform his will in his life. He wanted to be able to point back to everybody else and say, see, God answers prayer. And this is what he said. Uh, He he kind of walks through his prayer life in this statement here. And I'm not going to read the whole statement to you, but I want to read to you this first part because I think it really illustrates the concept of praying in Jesus' name. He said this, I seek at the beginning to get my heart in such, into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see the similarity there? Now he goes on, he says this. Nine-tenths of the trouble with people generally is just here. Where? We're praying what? we're praying my will be done on earth as it is in heaven and let me tell you something and I mean this in all sincerity that is a blasphemous prayer that is not praying in Jesus' name that is a if you will it's a pagan prayer the pagans prayed to their pagan gods for their pagan wills to be done the Christian, the child of God, as they pray in Jesus' name, they are praying, not my will be done, but thine on earth as it is in heaven. He goes on, he says, nine-tenths of the trouble with people generally is just here, praying their will. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the knowledge of what his will is. That's to pray in Jesus' name. Does that mean a little bit more to you now when you say, dear Father in heaven, in Jesus' name I pray? Does that mean a little bit more to you now? So we need to be careful when we come to our prayer and we're praying in Jesus' name or we're asking in Jesus' name. We need to first 
step back and, and analyze our heart and see, is there any selfishness here? Is there any Jason that's in this prayer? Or am I really submitted to whatever God's will is, even if it's something that I don't want? You know, I, I would encourage you sometime to go through the Bible. There are a number of times where you will find that what people prayed for oftentimes was not what God gave them. But what God gave them was exceeding abundantly above all that they could ask or think. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself because I'm going to talk a little bit more about that here in just a minute. So let's go on. Number eight is this. Number eight is to be persistent in your prayers. To be what? To be persistent in your prayers. Romans, the Bible tells us, Romans chapter 12 and verse 12, the Bible says, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulations. What does it say? Continuing instant in prayer. Now, when you break that down in the Greek, it simply means to persevere and to what? Not faint. Persistent in prayer. To persevere in that prayer. Bringing that request before the Lord. I want to share with you a story from the Bible that I think illustrates this just beautifully. First Kings chapter 18 and verse 1, the Bible says this, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah... In the third year, saying, so notice what's happening here. The word of who came to who? So what did the Lord say to Elijah? He said, go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. How long had it not rained? Three and a half years, right? No rain. And so now God comes to uh, Elijah, and he says, I want you to go and tell Ahab that there will be rain on earth. The earth. That's a very important point, so just kind of keep that in your mind. We're going to come back to that here in just a moment. Now, as we continue progressing through the story, here's what we find happens. Of course, he calls all of the people and the prophets of Baal to Mount Carmel. There's the big showdown that happens. He sets up this contest. They pray to their God, and he prays to his God, and whatever God answers by fire, that's the true God, right? That's the whole contest that happens. So, as I mentioned before, the pagan priests are jumping and leaping from morning until noon. And, and Elijah's keeping a close eye on them lest they, you know, uh, start a fire of their own and say that the God Baal answered their prayers. And then in the afternoon, he says, okay, you know, enough is enough. Now it's my turn. And the Bible says this in verse 36. It says, and it came to pass, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Listen to his prayer. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Was there a contrast between these two prayers, yes or no? Do you think the people realized that? They were just spent all morning long watching the prophets of Baal leaping and jumping and cutting themselves and doing all kinds of craziness. And then in a quiet, whispered tone maybe, builds this altar, comes around and he kneels down and he prays this simple prayer to God. You know what? I oftentimes have thought to myself that simple prayers must be very refreshing to God. Sometimes we get so flowery in our prayers and you know, so high-minded in what we say and what we don't say that it, it maybe it kind of wearies God. But just a simple prayer that Elijah prayed here, let it be known this day 
that you are God. And what happens as a result of that? We know what happens. The Bible says, uh, it goes on, hear me, O Lord, hear me that, uh, that this people may know that thou art God, uh, the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their hearts back again. And the Bible says, and then fire, and the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stone and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. How many of you would like to have been there to see that? What an amazing experience. And the Bible goes on and it says, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Catch this. One short little prayer brought mass conversion. Somebody ought to say amen to that. These are the types of prayers that God's people can be praying, brothers and sisters. This is how powerful prayer is. One short little prayer converted an entire nation that once thought that Baal was the God. Now their minds were changed that God was the God who hears and answers prayer. But we're talking about persistence in prayer today, okay? Persistence in prayer. This was one little prayer that, that Elijah prayed, and then boom, fire came down from heaven. But let's look at the rest of the story. Notice what the Bible goes on to say. Uh, it says this, and Elijah said to Ahab, get thee up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. What did God tell Elijah to tell Ahab? That there would be what? Rain. Three and a half years, no rain. But he said, go tell Ahab that there will be rain upon the earth. Elijah had not seen any rain at this point, but now he tells Ahab, go, go, because I hear the sound of abundance of rain. And then the Bible says, and so Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth, and he put his face between his knees. What do you call that? That's the position of prayer. And the Bible says this, and he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up, and he looked, and he said, there is nothing. And he said, go again. How many times? Seven times. He said, go again. Comes back, nothing. Go again. Comes back, nothing. He goes again. And in between each time, Elijah's praying. Go again. Go again. Seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there is a, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down that the rain stop thee not. It was a what kind of cloud? It didn't take much for Elijah to realize that God was answering prayer. He didn't wait for the complete rainfall to come and the torrential rainfall to take place. He just saw a little black cloud. He said, that's enough. God's answering this prayer. Go tell him, get out of here. It's time to go. And so the Bible goes on. It says, and it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. How many times did, did Elijah pray? And what did he pray for? And what did God tell him that he was going to send? Was he praying according to God's will? So Elijah knew that as long as he was praying according to God's will, he could persist in that prayer. God said there would be rain. 
I'm going to pray for rain until that rain comes. And it didn't come after the first prayer or the second prayer or the third prayer or the fourth prayer, but it came after seven times. Now, let me ask you a question. What would have happened if Elijah had become discouraged after the third or fourth prayer? What if Elijah had prayed that sixth prayer and finally said, ah, forget it, God doesn't answer prayer? What would have happened? I don't know what would have happened. But as I think about it, I think, you know, I'm more like that than I'm like Elijah. We give up so quickly sometimes in our prayer life. When God wants us to wrestle with him and persist because it causes us to depend upon him and lean upon him more than we ever have before. Seven times, time after time, he prayed, and finally God sent that little black cloud, and he realized that God was answering that prayer. Now listen to this. This is a beautiful commentary. Patriarchs and uh, Prophets and Kings, sorry. Page 156, it says this. As he prayed, his faith reached out and grasped the promise of heaven. What was the promise of heaven? That God would send what? And he persevered in prayer until his petition was answered. He did not wait for full evidence that God had heard him, but was willing to venture all on the slightest token of divine favor. And yet, what he was in, uh, enabled to do under, uh, do under God, all may do in their sphere of activity in God's service. What's she saying? She said, what, he's, what Elijah did, you're able to do as well. It's not just for him. It's not just for the Old Testament prophets. But God wants us to enter into that same type of persistent experience together with him in prayer. I read a story one time uh, about a man in China. Actually, I've read the book a number of times. It's a powerful story about a man named Yoon. Brother Yoon, they refer to him as. When Yoon was 16 years old, it's in a book called The Heavenly Man. When Yoon was 16 years old, he asked his mother about Jesus. Who is Jesus? Did you know that there are people in the world who do not know who Jesus is? Who is Jesus? His mother said to him, Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for us, taking all of our sins and sickness. He recorded all of his teachings in the Bible. It's a pretty good answer, isn't it, for somebody that didn't have a Bible? And so Yoon asked, you know, his mother about a Bible. He wanted to see a Bible. He wanted to learn more about this Jesus character who has come to save us from all of our sins. She said, I don't have a Bible, but she remembered that there was an old man in a village that was a day's journeys away who had a Bible. And so her and Yoon, her son, they took this long trip to this village at some, somewhere in China to find this man who owned a Bible. How many Bibles do you have at home? Days he, he walked to find a Bible. He got to the man's house and he said, listen, I, I, I want to see the Bible. Now you have to remember this is communist China. And this man was fearful for his life. And so he told Yoon that he would not show him his Bible. 
But this is what the man said. He said, the Bible is a heavenly book. If you want one, you will need to pray to the God of heaven. Only he can provide you with a heavenly book. God is faithful. He always answers those who seek him with all of their hearts. So Yoon went home. He traveled days up, didn't find a Bible, traveled days back. And for 100 days, he prayed that God would send him a Bible. He fasted for 100 days. All he ate was one little bowl of steamed rice. He wanted to read the word of God. And so he poured his heart out to God in prayer. Please send me a Bible for 100 days. Over three months, he prayed for the word of God. How many Bibles do you have at home? And then one day, his family thought he was losing his mind. One day, there was a knock at the door. Yoon went to open the door, and there was a man standing there with a Bible in a bag, and he said, this is for you. I heard one amen. That's a powerful story. When I heard the story, it just gripped me. I'm like, this is amazing. The back end of the story is this, that there is an evangelist many miles away from where Yoon lived. And one evening as he was in prayer, he had a vision and God showed him the village. God showed him the house. God showed him the person that he was to give his Bible to. But it took him three months of wrestling with God to answer that, to answer that call. Ten days after Yoon began to pray, God answered his prayer but it took, him, it took over three months because a human being got in the way of answering that prayer. But praise the Lord that he was persistent in asking God to send him his word. Be persistent in your prayers. Okay, we're going to wrap this up, but I want to share with you something that is from a little bit different of a perspective that I hope will be a blessing to you. Have you ever prayed, and I mentioned this already, but have you ever prayed for one thing and got something else? It happens, right? And sometimes when we get the different thing, we don't even recognize that as an answer to prayer. Sometimes when we pray, we have to understand that God has a loftier view of answered prayers than you do. You remember this passage, it's in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. The Bible says, now unto him that is able to do, what does it say? Exceeding abundantly above all that you what? Ask or think. So the Bible tells us that God wants to do exceeding and abundantly above what you can ask. Now, I don't know about you, I have some pretty lofty ideas in my prayer life. But God wants to do much more than what we could ever ask. Here's the reality of the situation. You can't even imagine a prayer that comes close to what God wants to give you. Amen? If God wants to grant you more than you are asking, here's the question. Would you rather have what you are requesting or what God wants to give? You know what, God, you can keep your blessings. Just give me what I'm asking for. Lord, have mercy. It's almost like, you know, 
take the $100 bill. I'll take the penny. That's fine with me. Lord, please give me the penny. Give me a penny. Give me a penny. I want to give you $100. That's okay. Keep the $100. Just give me a penny. Give me a penny. Give me a penny. He has much loftier views than what we could ever imagine. And so we might be praying for one thing, and he's waving something over here that's even greater, and we don't even realize that as a blessing. It's a paper. I want a coin. It's not the right answer to prayer. Exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask. Go with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. John chapter 11. We're going to wrap this thing up here, but I want to share with you this story that I think has some beautiful concepts for us to think about. John chapter 11, you're familiar with the story. It's the story of Lazarus when he passed away. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45, we won't read the whole story because I'm sure many of you are familiar with it. If you aren't, go back home and read it again. But in verse 3, the Bible tells us that um, the sisters, it says, therefore his sisters, Mary and Martha, sent unto him, that is unto Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Jesus was uh, some other place. He got the message that Lazarus was sick. Obviously, it was an urgent thing. He was about to die. Mary and Martha had seen Jesus perform miracles before. They had seen him open the eyes of the blind, heal the sick, heal the lame. They'd seen all of this take place. And so in their minds, healing their brother of his sickness was nothing for Jesus to do. He was the only solution in their mind. Praise the Lord that they turned to him in their time of need. Lord, please come, heal him whom thou lovest. Verse 5 and 6, the Bible says this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in some place where he was. Doesn't sound like a loving person to me. Are you all with me? When you have a family member who is sick and they live in another state, if they're on their deathbed and you love them, what are you going to do? You're going to leave and go. But the Bible tells us that's not the way Jesus does because Jesus is operating on a different stratosphere. And so he continues doing his ministry, whatever he was doing. For two more days, he continues. And in that period of time, what happens to Lazarus? He dies. And once that happens, then Jesus says, okay, now it's time to go. He says, our friend Lazarus, sleep it. You, you know that part of the story. We hear it all the time in our uh, uh, prophecy seminars. Uh, they said if he sleeps, that he's doing well. That's a good thing if he's sleeping. But Jesus said, I, you know, he was actually talking about his death. And so they make the trip, and they go over to where Mary and Martha and Lazarus was in his tomb. As Jesus arrives, there's all this weeping and wailing, right? There's all of this mourning and crying that's taking place. Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. His body had already started decomposing. And as he asks his sister, he asks Lazarus' sister to take him where the tomb is. And there are these people that are just all around him mourning and weeping. And even Mary and Martha are crying. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 11 twice that Jesus groans within himself. And that he actually cries. He's not crying for Lazarus. What he's crying for is that the fact that he is the resurrection and the life, and there are people all around him that don't even realize that. You see, here's what I've come to understand as I've read that story. 
Mary and Martha believed in a Jesus that could open the eyes of the blind, heal the sick, and heal the lame, but they didn't believe in a Jesus who could raise the dead. They had already experienced a Jesus who could heal people of their sickness, but they had not experienced a Jesus who could raise people from the dead. And if Jesus had come when they called him to come, they would have seen Jesus do something that they had already seen him do. God said, no, Jesus said, no, I'm going to wait a little bit longer. Listen to me carefully because I want them to experience something about me that they have never experienced before. God, Jesus wanted to take them into a deeper relationship with him. And so he paused in that, answering that request. Notice what the Bible says in verse 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying unto him, Lord, if thou had come here, my brother, would not have died. You can almost hear the despair in her voice. All hope is gone. He is dead now. There's nothing that can be done until the resurrection at the last days. They didn't realize that Jesus, the one who was standing right in front of them, had the solution to their problem. And brothers and sisters, sometimes in your prayer life, you might feel like you are spinning your wheels. You're asking, you're talking to God, you're praying according to his will, you're presenting the promises of God, you're doing all of these things, and you may feel like that you are not getting any traction with God. But when that happens, when you know that your heart is right with God, when you know that you're praying according to his will, when you know that you're presenting his promises, and you feel like you're just not getting traction with God, it is probably because God is about to do something that is going to allow you to experience him in a whole different dimension. Amen? You see, God is not just satisfied with you having that surface experience. He wants to take you even deeper than that. And sometimes it requires you to be a little uncomfortable. You see, they prayed for one thing, but Jesus gave them something else. They would have been happy if Jesus had come and just healed Lazarus when he was sick. But can you imagine how much deeper their relationship with Jesus was when he came and rose their brother from the dead? Are you all getting me here this morning? It's powerful. It is powerful stuff. God is not satisfied with mediocrity in his relationship with you. He wants to take you deeper. And so don't get frustrated in your prayer life when you feel like God is not answering your prayers, but go back and check and make sure that your life is right with him. If you have confessed your faults, if you are praying according to the promises of God, if you have removed yourself out of that prayer request, keep talking to him because he's about to do something amazing in your life. Don't give up. Keep praying. So I want to ask you this morning, almost this afternoon, what are you going to do with what you have heard so far? I hope that some of you have already started taking these things back and applying them into your prayer life. It's revolutionary, really. But, you know, if if all we're doing here is just kind of you know, filling time and getting an intellectual brain scratch. We really haven't accomplished a whole lot. 
but I think I know you well enough to know that you want this experience in your prayer life. Amen? I think that we are on the cusp of great things. I think God is about to do some stuff in our church locally and globally that is going to be exciting. I don't want to be caught doubting God. I want to be caught holding on, wrestling just a little bit longer, praying that prayer one more time, being persistent, praying in Jesus' name. That's, that's where I want to be found, falling before him morning by morning, saying, not, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, teach us to pray. Make that request to God, and I guarantee you, if it comes from a heart that has a true motivation, he will teach you how to go deeper with him in prayer. Is that your desire? Let's pray about that. Father in heaven, Lord, it is exciting to see these things in your word. There's so much good stuff that you want to do for us. Father, I pray you would help us. We are so weak in our faith, so tempted to give up, to let go, to turn to the other side. But help us, Lord, to hold on just a little longer, to look to, your, to, to look to you and realize that there is a God who is incredibly in love with us, and he has a desire for us that is above and beyond anything that we could ever think of asking or even be able to imagine. How exciting that is, Lord. And Father, I pray that we will not be like Mary and Martha, standing in the very presence of the all-powerful God and limiting him in our own minds. Father, I pray that we would realize that as we come into your presence morning, noon, and night, and throughout the day, as we breathe in that atmosphere of heaven constantly praying to you as we go throughout our day, that we would realize that we are in connection with the all-powerful God and that there is nothing that is impossible for him. Father, this is your church, and we are your people. We fail, we make mistakes, we get in the way. <clears throat> but we thank you that you're willing to use us and work with us. And so, Lord, as the pastor of this church, I pray and I ask that you would take control of our church, that you would move this church in the direction that you want it to go, that we would humble ourselves and be willing to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit for us. Lord, I know that each one of our members here can agree with that prayer. Bless us, Lord, we pray. We thank you that we have great things to look forward to. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. 
If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.